0: Hello everyone and welcome. This is Victoria Stapleton, Director of School and Library Marketing at Little Brown Books for Young Readers. I'm very excited to welcome you to this episode of the Little Brown School and Library podcast because Claudia Gray is our guest. Yes, your jazz hands and spirit fingers are all a tingle (laughs) because she is in our phone box ears right now. She is the author of a number of wonderful books, including Evernight, which I did see published from another house, but I did read it. I did love it. I probably will read it again tonight. But for Little Brown, she has done two fantastic books, Defy the Stars and Defy the Worlds, which is going to be your next obsession. Welcome, Claudia.
1: Hi there. Good to talk to you.
0: I really love what you do with characters. Um, They just... They're almost like earworms, except we're reading, so maybe they're eyeworms or brain worms. Uh, <laughs> you just have such a great grasp of extremely individual and distinct characters, and yet your plots are not simple. There's a lot of, of work that these characters need to do, particularly in Defy the Stars and now Defy the Worlds. Uh, can you talk a little bit to our audience about how you construct such a fantastic character as Noemi and again as Abel, uh, and to give them their specificity, but how that, how that works with constructing your plot?
1: Uh, well, first of all, thanks. Uh, second of all, I have a general answer for how I generally do books. Uh, and then I have a specific answer for the Defy the Star series that's actually a little bit different than, than it is for most books. Which one do you want, or do you want both? And let's so, start in what order?
0: Let's start with the general and then see, move on to how you adapted that or changed things up for Noemi and Defy the Worlds.
1: I usually begin, I'm not somebody who... Thinks of the character absolutely first or the plot absolutely first. Uh, I, I really think these two things have to develop each other, and I think of it a lot as a tennis match. Normally the premise comes first. What would be an interesting world, an interesting thing to have happen, an interesting issue to get at? And then I ask, okay, well, who is interesting dealing with that? What sort of person is going to be most challenged by this or have the most interesting point of view on it? And then once I have that person, then I know a little bit about who they are and what they want. And that tells me a little bit more about the universe, which begins to move the plot forward some more. Uh, Different characters begin to take shape. And you just sort of organically, I think, go back and forth between these things. I've I've never had a plot so commanding that you could have dropped pretty much anybody into it. And I don't know that if I ever come up with a character who could do absolutely anything for 400 pages and be entertaining, you know, I'll I'll call you for my yacht because that would be <laughs> awesome. But um, it's a question of both coming up with a really strong premise and developing it in a way that I think is going to be interesting and believable but not too predictable mm-hmm. and peopling that with the individuals who are going to be most challenged by it and who challenge each other.
0: I love what you're saying about challenging each other because another aspect of your books is the secondary characters are just as uh, pungent as the main characters. There's not any sort of cut-ins or stand-ins in your books. These are these are all characters. While they may not mm-hmm. have as many lines as the main character, they're still interesting and they still have something to offer.
1: It, it is fun to just remember that everybody has his or her own life. Each of them can be the protagonists of their own story, and especially with something like Defy the Stars, where it's a future world that has a lot of detail. The supporting characters illustrate that world to some extent. You know, somebody like uh, Virginia Redbird exists because Planet Cray exists. Mm -hmm. And her personality and her experiences tell you a lot about that planet and who lives there and the priorities that they set. You know, I think the same goes for uh, like Harriet and Zion or Rico, all of them, hopefully. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, what was your specific process with Noemi and this and and this series of books? You mentioned that it was different rather than from your general way of operating.
1: Yeah, um yeah. you know i'm just going to be honest the the origin story for defy the stars uh go back in time i guess about six years uh did you happen to see the movie prometheus the alien prequel oh yeah yes yeah, that's basically the origin story for the Defy the stars was what if prometheus did not suck <gasps> <laughs> you know, because I kept going to see this movie, and I was like, this isn't a bad movie. Why am I going back to see it? And the thing was, like, in some scenes, you could tell that both Michael Fassbender and Naomi Rapace were in a better movie that had existed at some point in the script, but they weren't going to be able to fight their way out of it. And I kept going, there's something there about, you know, an artificial life form who, both is and is not responsible for his actions, and how do you evaluate him as an individual? You know, does this person have a soul? Is he responsible for his actions? And also, what does a highly religious person who is, you know, intelligent and, t- you know, examining this person for the first time, this mechanical person, what do they make of this through that worldview? You know, I mean, the character in the movie was Hollywood religious, which means she had a cross. You know, I'm religious and in no other way behave differently. Um, But the more I thought about it, the more I thought there would actually be something really interesting to get into with uh, a young adult book. For one, I think Abel's experience trying to figure out like, who am I exactly? What am I exactly? How much do I behave like those around me? How am I different from those around me? Uh, his experience is as alien and, and futuristic as it is, I think, is a metaphor for a lot of the experiences of growing up and learning to self-define. And especially with Noemi, I, I feel like really much too often in young adult literature, religion gets portrayed one of two ways. One, it's it's bad. You know, religion is the bad thing, and you have to learn to break away from the bad, this terrible whatever thing, and that's it. Or it's this really smarmy, treacly you know pray and everything will be well sort of uh approach or then in fantasy novels sometimes you have it but then it's like and the gods are real and they actually show up in the book which is slightly different the thing is i remember when i was a teenager you know my friends and i we spent a lot of time thinking about this and talking about this mm-hmm. and wondering what it was exactly that we did not didn't believe because that is the age where i think you stop just receiving what you've been taught up to this point and decide whether or not you believe this. And maybe you do. And that's you owning it and growing in a way, or maybe you don't entirely. You know, I knew people who went from being very religious to not religious and people who grew up with very little religion who ended up becoming very religious. And it was something we talked about and thought about a lot. And I thought it would be interesting to have a character who really is at that point. And she is questioning what she's grown up with, not, you know, out of a sheer knee-jerk rejection, but asking, you know, what if it feels true and right to her? And so I said, okay, I I think if Ridley Scott is not going to tell this story, which manifestly did not, (laughs) uh, you know, I I guess I will. So that is how the series was born.
0: I have to say, uh, before I was in publishing, I was doing a Ph.D. in biblical studies. Which is one of the other reasons why I really enjoy these books, because of the fluent, interesting portrayal of someone dealing with questions of faith. Because if there's one thing from really talking about and experiencing how people at various stages of life express their spirituality or religiosity, it is literally let a million flowers bloom. Because it is unique mm-hmm. to each individual, I'm intrigued by thinking of Noemi as being uh, self-conscious of her of her own plot, the plot of her own life. Uh, is it predetermined? Mm-hmm. Is her faith predetermined by her family and her community, or not? How does she really interact with that as an individual and construct her own world, her own plot from what she decides to believe?
1: Exactly, exactly, and and she's from a place that is both extremely religious. Her planet is very much sort of built on not any one faith, but a very strong sense that faith is important and different religions coexist because everybody sort of expects that, yes, we're all on a spiritual journey. And to get a little technical, there's sort of a common theosophist vein Mm -hmm. about sort of like internal experience and whatever. But she's also been surrounded by this multiplicity of of faiths. And so she, she's both been brought up to believe in religion as being very important and to be encouraged to explore that. But at the same time, she is – I mean it is about exploring. There, there's not one path laid out for her anymore. She thinks there is at the beginning of the book, but then when that breaks down, like she really does have to consider so many things, including her faith, in a different light.
0: Well, I love that you mentioned this came out of Prometheus because I too believe there was a better movie stuck in there somewhere, and I mm-hmm. and I've you seen parts of it. I don't know how many times, just hoping that somehow that better movie would pop up on my television screen, uh, mm-hmm. regardless of what Ridley Scott actually filmed. So, I see mm-hmm. where you began with this, and I love that you're upfront about it because I think so much of our culture is a response to what is already existing and our wish for the books or movies that should have been rather than what is.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, tell me if I'm off base here, but literally just listening to you talk, I mean, you've written fanfic, yes? No. <laughs>
0: No, no, oh my
1: God, you sound like such a fangirl to me. I'm totally a fangirl. I just don't write it. <laughs> oh, okay. Have you read the fanfic?
0: Yes, I have read fanfic. I have not <laughs> well, read I the Prometheus fanfic. The fanfic. I am a little scared of that, but <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: but no, i I but well, I used to write. I don't really have time for it anymore. if If ever I do, I will believe me., uh, but um, you know, I was basically from the minute the internet rolled out in the early 90s i was i was reading and writing it and um you know and as a result like i i I really totally get that you know our other media that we consume it does inspire us Mm -hmm. and i really feel like that impulse is in some ways the fundamental creative impulse because you know if you go back and you think about it you know Modern literature where everything is generally original to each piece is it's very new and it's a big aberration mm-hmm. really in human history. You know the Greek myths, there were a whole lot of different versions of what happened to Hercules. There's uh, a lot going on with the Trojan War that you can tell with a lot of different stories that people told about it or, um, or the Arthurian legends. You know, somebody decided to talk about Gwen, somebody decided to talk about Lancelot, somebody came up with the Lady of Shalott, et cetera. You know, and you began with a character or a theme or a setting that people would begin, would be familiar with, and you would build on that. And the things that were built on the most compellingly and interestingly then become part of the lore and um i think um you know fan culture is definitely an expression of that and while i definitely don't want to just um you know like oh look uh, here's my fanfic with different names here you go like i don't want to do that i don't mm-hmm. think that's really appropriate but at the same time I, th- I think it i think sometimes we're too shy to uh to admit like yeah i had an idea that was inspired by this that's i don't think that a shameful thing or a wrong thing or a rare thing whatsoever. Uh, I think that's the natural creative process is you see one thing and you bounce something off of that.
0: Well, to, to take that forward, you begin with Noemi rooted in, in your peculiar appreciation for Prometheus <laughs> and yes. Noemi Rapaz's character. How did Noemi take on a life of her own through the process of writing Defy the Stars?
1: yeah she really um was interesting because and this is i found this through all of my books i think how many have i written now i think it's like 18 i've lost track um but i have discovered one thing that's it's so funny and it's so true anytime there's a character that's guarded in some way Mm -hmm. it's really difficult for me to get a handle on them because they're guarding themselves from me, too, in some way. Mm-hmm. And Noemi was like that. You know, uh, Abel was a lot easier because he's, he's open and he's looking and he's analyzing all of the time. You know, and Noemi has those walls up and she doesn't want to let you in. So I had to work with her for a little bit. Yeah, and the more I thought about the way she's grown up and her expectations, the more I realized this is going to be a character who is dealing with a lot of anger and a lot of it really justified, and she has had an outlet for it through being a soldier, but she's going to have to find a different way to, to deal with her surroundings and her emotions when she leaves this very particular uh, scene. And so that was really critical. I thought her sense of isolation on her planet was also important, most of the cause once you once you sort of set up her background, you realize she's never quite fit in this place that is really in many ways very gentle and accommodating, but she still isn't quite right there. Mm-hmm. And you know, so that that was a big aspect of it. And and I wanted her to definitely be somebody who she has really strong preconceptions. It's she can get over them but i didn't want her to be somebody who was automatically very open to everything uh i knew that she and abel would need to to clash a fair bit especially in the beginning and you know i'm i'm finishing up the third book now they never really stop clashing even as they've grown to care so much more about each other and trust each other so much more but uh but this was going to be about to people who have some fundamentally opposite qualities and learn to appreciate each other without necessarily um, taking away each other's sharp edges at all. You know, to the end, Abel can sometimes still be really obnoxiously arrogant. And to the end, it can still sometimes fly completely off the handle. You just, that's who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I really needed the conflict between them though to feel it has to be organic. For this story to work. I love sort of the, the bickering people, you know, are going to be a couple in a lot of things, but a lot of times the, the conflict between them doesn't necessarily feel earned. You know what I mean? It sort yes. of feels like, Oh, you, you know, you have this cutesy misunderstanding. Okay. I got it. But you know, for no, uh, Noemi and Abel—they're on different sides of the war. They come from totally different viewpoints of looking at the entire universe. Uh, you know that that conflict was very real, and so I got to dig into that.
0: I like this description of Noemi as guarded and even resisting you, who are mm-hmm. technically her creator. Mm-hmm. We know, we know yeah. that characters resist authors and plots resist authors. We know this to be true. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yes. Was there anything Naomi, Noemi as a character refused to let you make her do?
1: Hmm. Not in Defy the Stars. In Defy the Worlds, I, uh, well, now I don't want to spoil it. Well, um, let there, me ask it a little more. Basically, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Basically, there was an emotional point that I wanted her to reach in defy the worlds, and in the end, that just fundamentally didn't work. She's still not quite at that point. She's made a whole lot of progress mm-hmm. in that way, but she had not gotten to the point that I had really thought she would by the end of defy the worlds, and uh, and and that's unusual um, for me uh, to. Because usually, if I'm if I'm changing big fundamental things in a book at sort of the last hour of revisions, uh, it tends to be much more plot stuff. But in this case, you know, I kept trying to get her there, and then finally just had to accept, like, no, she's not ready. She just isn't. Very unusual for that to happen, at least for me, uh, while writing. But it was it was true in that case. So, no spoilers, but there it is.
0: Well, I do I do find that interesting because it does it did did affect the plot of what the sequence of events in the book, yes, because of that character's mm-hmm. not being ready to proceed with the plot you envisioned. You
1: needed to make an well, adjustment. Well, luckily it was a point I saw her reaching near the end anyway, so it didn't affect that plot much. Mm-hmm. Which thank goodness, because I do not know how much more revision I could have done at that late stage once I finally accepted that. But uh, it definitely affected how I planned the final book, Defy the face, which is what I'm writing the end of right now. Uh, And it it definitely affected how I set that one up uh, for the future.
0: I I will read that even more with interest now. It's a particular fascination of mine um, because a really good novel, which I think these are, have those organic characters that resist and require Mm -hmm. additional thought. And I'm fascinated by how authors who, who, very good ones, who actually can accept what the character is doing to change the plot, but then also Mm -hmm. how characters arrive up out of the plot. Uh, As you were talking about, you know, certain characters can only be because that planet exists and that planet is part of of the plot.
1: Right, yes. Yeah. I, again, I haven't had that happen too much, just because I do try really hard to develop the characters and the plot together. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I I don't wind up with characters sort of shoehorned into something they wouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and in this case, it wasn't it wasn't something it wasn't a point she wouldn't get to. She just hadn't gotten there yet. Yet.
0: I love the idea of it's yet, and you can see the backwards and the forwards with the character, uh, and I think readers mm-hmm. really respond to that. I know I as a reader really respond to that and i and i respond also to to the secondary characters who seem to have stories of their own and in a couple places i wanted to go read about that person as well not leave the story entirely but also like maybe there's Mm -hmm. like a little
1: side story for this person (laughs) um oh yeah it would be it would be fun to do to do especially a virginia story i'd like to do some vagabond stories it would it would be a blast
0: i i think that would be that would be fantastic um I want to speak a little bit about the character Burton Mansfield. Ah, yeah. How do you create evil in a person? (laughs)
1: Um, You know, this actually, this particular evil, this actually goes back to right when I had first gotten published. You know, I'd sold my first book, and I was very excited and had a grossly inflated idea of how many books I would be able to write in a big hurry. And I had an idea, this was at the beginning of the paranormal, you know, the crest of that wave Mm -hmm. was coming. And I really wanted to do a young adult version uh, of Frankenstein, essentially, with um, a female main character. And the idea was that the scientist was sort of the mother figure who is constantly perfecting her and choosing different parts for her. And I thought and I still think to some extent, like, that's a, a fun thing to play with. But I could never quite make it work because Frankenstein is actually about sewing together dead bodies, which we aren't 100 percent up with right now. And that was just <laughs> an idea that I had. But there's so powerful about that, the idea that, you know, we, we all feel this way sometimes in adolescence. And, and sadly, sometimes it is absolutely true that our parents and authority figures are – much more interested in shaping us into their idea than accepting us as we are, Mm -hmm. as we're going to be. Uh, And that's something that's really critical. And when I started working on Abel, essentially that core of that story came into this. Abel has been, you know, wonderfully made. He's, he's smart. He's strong. He's capable. He has uh, this wry sense of humor and, He he has all this, and he loves his creator so much for giving him this, but his creator has alternate motives for this, and it's this incredibly devastating thing for him to realize. And I, I think the evil of it, and I think the reason, or at least why I hope it is effective, is because it you have the one big science fiction plot, but then you also have that core feeling that we've all had where somebody that we really loved and trusted and in, respected the sense that they only want me to be this other thing that I am not, you know, they don't want me for me. I think we've all felt that. And again, it's not always true, but a lot of times sometimes it is in it's, some ways. So It's true often that's enough. The part of, Yeah. Hopefully that's the part that makes that feel very alive.
0: Claudia, thank you so much for chatting with me today about these books. I really, again, I fell in love with your writing in Evernight, and I have followed your career with enthusiasm, (laughs) and I love these books. They are toothsome in the very best possible way, and I can't, now hearing that you've been working on the end of the third book, Uh, I uh, am just going to have to possess myself in patience, although probably I will go start badgering your editor uh, as soon as I get done with the podcast here to see if I can (laughs) get an early peek. The books are Defy the Stars on shelves now and Defy the Worlds on shelves in April of 2018. You should go to your library and check them out or to your local bookstore and buy them out. Claudia, thank you so much for joining us and today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it.
0: This has been Victoria Stapleton for the Little Brown School and Library Podcast. We'll talk to you next time.